Okay, I'm going to turn to our, uh, our, our study for this morning, but first, would you just join me in prayer as we set our hearts right uh, for this time? Lord, um, anytime we open up your word, it, it says that it's uh, active, that it divides, bringing truth, bringing life from death, that your word doesn't return void. And so, Lord, we pray that right now in this time, you would speak to us each personally as we need. And, and we know that that, that is the case, that, that you see every single person in here. You know our stories. And Lord, you are calling and inviting us into a deep, a genuine, a, a real relationship with you. And so as we work through this today, uh, we trust that you, will, uh, that you will meet with each of us as we need. To understand better who you are and the life that you have called us to in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was a squirrely little middle schooler, and you'll hear about that a couple of times uh, this morning. Um, but I, I guess actually this probably even started before middle school. I think the story I was, I'm about to tell you, I, I think it was actually elementary late elementary, but then, but then maybe middle school. I grew up going to church. Dad was a pastor um, and went to a church where we had Sunday school times. Grateful for all of you uh, who work in Kids Bridge and, and, and that important work. Well, I, um, I was mischievous, not bad, just mischievous. And I had lots of energy and I didn't like sitting still. And I thought it was funny to make people laugh, especially when you're not supposed to be laughing and things like that. And so on more than one occasion, um, I was asked to go ahead and leave Kidsbridge, <laughs> just have an early departure from Kidsbridge. And, you know, of course, they'd be like, go find your parents, but they didn't walk me to my parents, so why would I go find them, right? I'll just wander, and usually I would go to the bathroom and hide because I was scared for my life. Because I knew eventually, whether I went to them or not, like they were going to find out whatever I did to be asked to leave. And so I'd be sitting there in the bathroom, and yes, at times if I need to, lift up my feet so that nobody would see feet in, you know, in the stall. And, and I'm hiding in there, and I can remember times like looking in the mirror, talking as if like seeing myself made it more real, but talking to God with all the promises of how I was never going to mess up again. I would never do that again, and I was so sorry. And this time it was, you know, and, and but I would sit there, and, and the first, some of the first questions I would be asking was like, how did I get in this mess again? Like, I, you know, I, I knew better, and last time I said I wouldn't, and here I am again in trouble, in a mess, scared to death to go tell my parents they're going to find out, how did I get here? I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that in life. Maybe the consequences were a little bit bigger than that, or the, the situation was a little bit bigger than asked, being asked to leave Sunday school, Kids Bridge, whatever you want to call it uh, at the time. Maybe there's been times in your life when you found yourself in the middle of a relational fracture. Uh, you found yourself in the middle of a mess at work, finances, with addictions, with any number of situations where you've looked and you've gone... How in the world did I get to this spot right now? And it feels overwhelming. It feels hopeless. It feels dark. Um, it feels scary. And all you want to do is just go hide, whether that's in the bathroom or whether it's somewhere else. You just 
want to go hide and just hope that it will all just go away. And yet it doesn't just go away, does it? Because there's consequences for what we do. When we look at our own lives, we see also a reflection of what we see on a broader level. When we look out at the world, there's not a lot that we can agree on in, in life these days, like globally, as, as like humanity. But I think one of the things we can agree on is that things aren't as they should be. We look out and we can go, man, there's wars, there's famine, there's corruption, there's all kinds of things, there's abuse, where we would just say, that's not right. And, and I don't, like, you want to get down into the weeds of some of that? Okay, you're going to start to disagree, but we can agree, that's not right. And sometimes we're more quick to talk about that and accept that brokenness than we are when we look down into our hearts and we look at our own stories and we go, yeah, that's not right either. Stuff that's going on in my heart, stuff that I've done, stuff that's been done to me isn't right either. And something needs to be done about that. We're picking back up in the middle of a story that we started last week. Uh, like the TV shows that say previously on, let me just go ahead and catch you up previously in what's happened in Genesis 1 through 3 for those of you who haven't been here. Genesis 1 and 2 sets the scene of God doing his incredible work of designing and creating a world in which the result is, is that all we can do is with awe just glorify and praise him for what we see. As we look at the small, intricate, and the big reflections of his creation, he created this incredible work, and then in the midst of that, created it in such a way that humans could flourish, could flourish in what it means to be human in relationship with God, relationship with ourselves, with others, and with this world, this biblical word shalom, peace, wholeness, harmony. And so we see this in Genesis 1 and 2, in all the beauty and all the goodness. There's trees, there's everything that humans can have, and God says, have at it, enjoy it all. There's the tree of life, there's life there, take, eat. There's one tree. Don't take from this tree. Don't touch it, don't eat it, nothing. And it's not there because I'm restricting you, it's there because I want to train you in in learning what it means to follow me and my design for your life. And so stay away from that. And in the midst of all of this goodness, this serpent arrives on the scene. The serpent who later scripture will further develop to, to call Satan, the accuser, the deceiver, the father of lies. He comes onto the scene and unlike God, Satan wants only the destruction of humanity. doesn't want our flourishing. wants our destruction. And yet, being the most crafty and cunning of all of God's creation, Satan comes and slyly begins to place doubt in the first human, saying, can you really trust God's word? Can you really trust what he said not only that, do you really believe what he said? Like, do you really think that he wants what's best for you? God doesn't want what's best for you. 
Actually, your best life is going to be found when you take matters into your own hands. You create your own destiny. You pursue what makes you happy. Those desires that you have, you say yes to them. That's when your eyes will be opened. That's when you'll be able to really experience life. God just wants to hold you back. He just wants to restrict you. So go ahead and take from that tree and eat. So Adam and Eve had a decision to make. Would they eat? Would they take and would they eat? And last week we saw that they did. But they questioned the word of God. They questioned the character of God. They looked, they entertained sin, they rationalized it. Not that big of a deal. They took and they ate. But we've also taken and we've also eaten. See, temptation, we saw at its heart, is a trust issue. Will I trust God and his character and his ways, or will I trust myself? Will I follow my own ways? And then so sin that comes and sin that follows at its core is the rejection and rebelling against the ways of God. It's us saying, God, I don't trust your ways. I'm going to reject those, and I'm going to go a different way, my own ways. But it's not only the bad and the, like, the immoral things that we do. Sin is any time, anything, and anyone we place in the position of God in our lives. Anything that we allow to shape us is only God should shape us and allow to lead us is only God should lead us. Sin promises this wholeness, this happiness, but it only leaves us disintegrated. I've heard some say that sin will take you further than you wanted to go and cost you more than you wanted to pay. It promises, but never delivers. And we see that this wholeness that we were created for, this shalom, we'll see in chapter 3, unravels to where instead of being whole in relationship with God, First humans hide from God. Instead of being whole in relationship with themselves, feel naked and ashamed, begin to cover themselves. Instead of being whole in relationship with each other, there's blame shifting that happens. And instead of being whole with our creation, there's the curses that we see there of what it will look like to work and to toil and to be out trying to get rid of blackberry bushes and getting pricked all over the place with them and bleeding from your body just because of the curse. Although they are really good too. They taste really good. So. Sin breaks and it corrupts everything that God had created. So how did this all happen? As we look at the depths of our stories, we see this isn't just brokenness out there, but there's things that aren't right within us too. So I want to pick up the story where we left off last week. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, We went through verse 6 last week, and then we're going to pick up and carry on. It says this. It says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit, and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Then he, God, asked him, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate. 
So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You can go ahead and be seated. Satan says, go ahead, take, eat. Your eyes will be opened. Life will be so great. So they took and they ate and their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now, if you just walked into this scene and you heard this line, you might not think that was such a significant statement. Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. Oops, they forgot to dress that day. But when you read that in the context of a statement given just the previous chapter, the statement that was summarizing the human condition at the end of God's creative work, this shalom, this wholeness, and you read the statement that both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame, you would recognize something significant has happened. There's been a significant shift in the human condition from going from being naked and feeling no shame to now this nakedness is something that is problematic. We were created, we've said earlier in this series, to be fully known and fully loved, to be vulnerable to be known and loved. And yet, what we see here is now this exposure that instead of invites this deep, intimate kind of relationship, now brings shame and guilt. And because we live in a post-Eden, in a world after sin has entered into the world, not only do we have the our own mess that we bring into it. Not only do we have our own sin and all of that that we bring into our lives, but we also live in a world where other people sin and their sin impacts us. And I'm going to have both of those things in mind today as we navigate and talk about these verses. That, that there are times when it's like, hey, this is my mess and I've got to own this. Sometimes the brokenness in which you live and experience isn't your doing. It's somebody else's doing to you, and yet it still has impacted you. And there still is the decision of how are we going to react and to respond in that. Satan the deceiver says, come, take, and eat. Their eyes were open. Before, nakedness meant wholeness and vulnerability, but now nakedness represents shame and guilt. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. This, this just does not describe the human condition. I don't know what does. When our eyes are open and we realize our junk, our mess, our sin, the human condition, right, is to begin to cover how can I cover myself up so that I don't feel my shame and guilt, so that others don't see what I have done, so that others don't see who I really am? One, because if they did, surely they wouldn't receive me. They wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't love me. But not only that, it's not who I want people to see me to be. And so I begin to cover myself up. And so Adam and Eve pick up fig leaves, and they sew them together, and they cover themselves. And we pick up all kinds of things to cover ourselves from the pain of rejection, from the pain of feeling a lack of control, of not feeling secure, of feeling insig insignificant, of feeling like we don't measure up, we can't do enough, of feeling the shame and guilt of our own sin and our own decisions, even after we've promised, I'll never do it again, and then we do, feeling 
that shame. And so we pick up the leaves and we try to cover up over and over again. We pick up things like achievement. If I can just achieve enough affirmation and acceptance. We pick up even things like religion. If I can just do enough good things, then, then I'll at least feel better about myself. Others will think I'm a better person and, and, and all will be okay. We pick up things like control, purchases, sexual encounters. Sometimes we try covering up by acting like everything's okay, like it's not a big deal. Like, like I'm hard into the decisions that I've made, like no big deal, who cares? I don't care who it hurts, this is who I am. So we harden ourselves. Or I don't care what somebody else did to me, I'm fine, no big deal, it didn't hurt, I can go with it. And so sometimes we cover up just by saying like everything's fine, no big deal. But what we find is that those leaves may cover us but they're about as effective as a Band-Aid is to a gunshot wound. And so often, not only do they not actually help, the, the wound continues to fester. The wound gets infected. It's still there. Not only that, but then oftentimes we begin to act out of our wounds. We begin to live out of our brokenness because we haven't really dealt with it. We've just covered it up. Can I tell you another kind of funny, embarrassing story from middle school? And then you have to promise that you're going to tell me one of your embarrassing stories from middle school at some point too, okay? can't just be me. This has to be a two-way thing here. But um, I was, again, a squirrely little middle schooler. And uh, my friend Brandon and I had uh, sixth grade math together, and we had this teacher. I remember her name. I won't say it uh, just because then it's online. But um, I can remember that in math, we were probably not paying attention like we should. Um, gave us Malachi, this is not an excuse to misbehave in your math classes, okay? So just say that right now. Um, I, so I uh, started messing, we were goofing around and found myself, yes, out in the hallway once again. This is when teachers used to be allowed to discipline students. And so, um, so I was out in the hallway, and um, the teacher was in between us, and, and so like while she would talk to Brandon, of course, I'm over here making faces at him, right? And then she turned to talk to me, and he's making faces at me, and we're just both biting the insides of our cheeks, doing everything we can not to bust out laughing. Well, eventually, her red face, she's had enough, she has to take a breath, and so she goes back in, and we're hanging out in the hallway, and we just start laughing and laughing like the immature boys that we were. Well, I was wearing khaki shorts, and sometimes when you're laughing really hard, sometimes you lose control. And I peed my pants. And I was laughing so hard I couldn't stop peeing. And I just peed and peed my pants, I had, or shorts. I had khaki shorts on. And unlike whatever Adam Sandler says, all the cool kids don't pee their pants, okay? So I'm sitting there, and I've got like wet areas on my khaki shorts, and I'm thinking, what do I do? I'm embarrassed, I feel shame, I feel guilt over this, not probably over what I did to get there, but I did over now that I had PM. So what do I do? I go into the bathroom and I think, well, I'll just make the rest of my shorts wet. I'll just splash water on the rest so they're at least all the same color. Well, of course, that didn't work. One, it doesn't take away the smell of urine. Another, it's just now I'm walking around with sopping wet shorts all the way around. Like, it didn't solve the problem just made it worse, trying to cover it up. How many times, silly example, but how many times do we do things like that? Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's happened to me. Here's what I've done. 
and it's serious. But instead, I just, try to, I just try to make it blend in. I just try to rationalize it. I just try to deal with it without actually dealing with it. What about you? How do, how do you try to cover yourself up? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't it interesting that after they had covered themselves, they still hid So apparently they knew that their covering with the fig leaves wasn't enough to actually deal with their sin. Because if that was enough, then they would go right out in front of God. Hey, God, what's up? How's it going today? Let's go for a walk. But they knew their covering was enough, so they still hid. What was once the sound of peaceful connection with God as he came walking in the breeze of the cool of the night, now was the sound of shame. See, hiding is a reflection of our sin. It's one of the ways that we react in our sin, is I'm going to hide, I'm going to withdraw. Hiding is also a reflection of something that we're believing. It's a reflection of a lie that we're believing. And just as Satan's deception is what tempts us into sin. So once we sin, Satan's deception and accusation comes at us in our sin to tell us a whole bunch of lies about how we're unworthy, about how God won't forgive us. How could you do this again? And accusation is heaped upon accusation, deception upon deception. And we sit there, and then when we hide, it's a representation that we're believing the lie of Satan in the midst of sin, rather than the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. It's so important that we pay attention to what we're thinking, both while we're being tempted and what we're thinking once we find ourselves in that mess. That's why Paul later writes, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments in every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The lies that we believe the pain and the shame that we hold on to become these strongholds, like these fortified cities in our minds and in our hearts. And they play out in all kinds of ways. It, they, they might play out in our hiding, in our believing that, um, that, that we're not worthy of love and of forgiveness, that God's love isn't enough. And so it becomes this, this stronghold of shame, it can be, we can begin to hide ourselves in all kinds of ways. We even see in these next verses in, in Genesis 3 here that one of the ways it can even mount up is in this arrogance in the way that we react to God and to others, where we say, God, it's your fault, actually, what's happened in my life. Look at what you gave me. Or blame shifting. It's not me. I didn't do it. It's somebody else's. But we begin to live out of these, these different areas of brokenness in our lives, and they take hold on us as Satan just takes the opportunity while we're down to take 
the sin, to take the brokenness and to create a stronghold, like a, like a fortified city around that brokenness and to drill down deeper and deeper. See, strongholds are thoughts, their beliefs, their philosophies, their attitudes and values that oppose God's truth. They, they, can be, uh, they can be in opposition to who God is, like who he says he is. It can be in opposition to Jesus and like who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And so again, things like saying like, I'm sorry, you're, he, he's heard enough of your I'm sorry's. He, he won't forgive you anymore. It can be, they can be opposition to who we are and who God says you are, and instead you hear all of the lies of the enemy, you hear all of the guilt and the shame, and so that's what you begin to believe, and then you begin to live out of that. It can be about how you see other people, and so instead of living out of forgiveness, live out of bitterness and unforgiveness, but whatever it is, what led us into sin then becomes something that we start thinking and believing that takes us deeper in slavery to it. And so Adam and Eve are showing their brokenness by hiding. Strongholds like bitterness, self-hate, unforgiveness, fear, and even shame cause us to hide from God are also at the root of so much of the pain and the brokenness that we see out in the world. So sometimes we see this disconnect and we go, man, the world's so broken, but I'm okay. I'm not so bad. Man, what, what happens out there starts with what's in our own hearts. This is one of the reasons why living free, the living free class here at Newbridge is so foundational to how we learn to understand what God's original design is of us and how to live in relationship with him. It's how we identify the strongholds and how they're at work in our lives and how we learn how to step into the freedom that Christ has made possible. We're going to have that class again in October, so be keeping your eyes out for it. This is something that is, is so foundational, so important. But what thoughts do you hear when you realize that you're naked and ashamed? What thoughts do you start to hear in your own head? Are you paying attention to those thoughts? The choice to hide is a choice to believe the lies of Satan, the deceiver. The lie that God not, wants nothing to do with you because of your sin and brokenness. The lie that your sin is greater than his mercy. The lie that he's not gracious. The lie that you have to now rebuild your identity, that you somehow have to put your life back together on your own because it's your fault that you messed it up, so now it's going to be on you and your responsibility to rebuild it. But then all we do is we start picking up these leaves and trying to cover up because we think this is how we rebuild. And we portray. If I can just portray a life that has it all together, and if, and if people can just look and think that my relationships and think that my family is all good, then maybe I'll feel that way. If I can just be a great parent, then, then, then people will think that I'm significant until my child either doesn't turn out like I, I'm trying to make them or until I fail as a parent. Or if I can just put all my hope in my talent until somebody else is more talented. If I can just achieve more until somebody else can achieve more. Until we say my only hope is in Jesus Christ. My only hope is in his grace. And believing the truth of who he is and the truth that he 
of what he has done for me on the cross and in his resurrection and who he says I am in him, until that becomes what I take hold of, all I'm doing is putting fig leaves over myself, putting band-aids over gunshot wounds. I'm hiding instead of stepping out into freedom. Here's maybe some questions for reflection for you. How do I hide? What are some of the ways that, that you hide, that you either try to cover up or that you hide? What's my MO to deal with my own sin or the sin of others towards me? Why am I hiding? What am I believing that tells me that I need to hide from God? So the Lord God called out to the man and he said to him, where are you? This verse uh, has become maybe my, probably my, my favorite of this narrative, at least this week in studying it. Uh, there's another one that's hard to top to. But this one, as I spent some time reflecting on this, because I, I think at first I've often seen this as kind of God's, the beginning of God's judgment. Where are you? What did you do, you know, this time? And probably that's because I'm hearing my own self and how I would deal with somebody else's sin, not reflecting the graciousness of God. Where are you? Is it that God really didn't know where they were? I mean, is, is that what's going on here? Or, or did God want them to have to reflect on where they were and to own it? I've come to see it as God saying, like, where are you right now? Like, like for us, where are you right now? Like, stop and look. Where are you at in life right now? What are you believing? What are you doing? Why are you making those decisions? Where are you? Take an honest look. Where are you? And I've seen this question then as really as an invitation that's what God's questions are. This, this isn't meant, I don't think, to guilt Adam and Eve. God's questions are an invitation to step out of hiding into a healing and restorative relationship with him. This question is meant to lead them out of hiding into repentance, which is, which is the point when we recognize what we're doing is wrong, we stop going in that direction, we turn from it, and we walk toward Jesus and his ways. And it starts with owning where you're at. Owning, what have I done to get in this mess? Or how am I dealing with the mess that other people have brought into my life by the things that they've done to me? This is a gracious question of God to us. Where are you right now? Take a look at your life. Where are you? That's his grace. He said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The path to reconciliation and wholeness requires acknowledging and owning our sin. God's saying, I'm calling you out of it. I'm giving you the chance to own what you've done. He's not sitting there going, did you do what I told you not to do? He's saying, all right, so why are you hiding? And look, come on, step out of that. Follow me. Sometimes it can be so hard. This is the moment when it can be so hard when we're confronted in our sin, either by somebody else or by God. 
and we want to bow up, we want to get defensive, we want to rationalize, we want to say, I'm not as bad as that person. We want to blame shift and say, well, it's your fault. We want to retreat and hide. This is the moment where, again, we decide, am I going to listen to the gracious invitation of God to step out of hiding and to take responsibility for what I've done so that I can receive his reconciliation and his restoration in my life? Or am I going to react in some other way that only perpetuates the brokenness in my life? The man replied, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. And God asked her, and she says, it's the, it's the serpent's fault. It's blame shifting, not taking responsibility. And so Adam and Eve may have felt sorrow. They may have felt shame. They may have felt guilt. They may have felt embarrassment. But it doesn't seem as though yet they have felt repentance. And there's a difference, Scripture says, between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians. He says that, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. There's a difference between feeling bad. There's a difference between being a sixth grade boy in the bathroom promising, God, I'm never going to do this again, I promise, and going... Lord, I repent. Stop. I'm turning away from this, and I'm walking towards you and your ways. Like, I'm done. I'm leaving it behind. I'm embracing. I'm, I'm hearing you say, where are you? I'm looking at it. I'm saying, this is where I am. This is what's got me here, and I am hearing your invitation to step out, and I'm going to come towards you because I know your arms are wide open for me. Apart from the grace of God in our lives, the brokenness that we experience will take root and we'll begin to live out of that bitterness, power grabbing, control, greed, abuse, passivity, self-hatred, bias, indifference. Again, so many of the things we see out there that start with the decision of what will we do when we look and say, here's where I am. And Lord, I, just, I want to repent of that, and I want to walk towards you, and I want to walk in the freedom that I have in you. Seems hopeless sometimes, doesn't it? Because maybe you do find yourself like I was in that middle school boy that would time and again find myself in the bathroom, asked to leave early, and going, here I am again. What a mess. Okay, I'm going to do all of these things. And God's going, it's not about what you're going to do. Stop sowing the fig leaves. Stop hiding. And while this narrative shows so much of the hopelessness of humanity, we also, it also highlights the incomparable grace of God. Verse 21, this has really got to be my favorite verse, but it's coupled with the other. Then the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Do you see how God reacts in this story to their sin? It's the same way he reacts to our sin. They sin, they feel shame and guilt, and they start to cover, and they go hide. God comes after them, comes walking in the garden, calling out for them, where are you? 
calling them to step out of hiding, step out of shame, step out of guilt, step out of self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, bitterness, control, whatever it is, step out of that. And God meets them in their inability to cover themselves. And he, and he sacrifices an animal and takes the skins of the animal and he covers them. God covers them as only he can. Not with cheap fig leaves, but with skin from another life. This here is the first act of what theologians refer to as, this, as a substitutionary atonement. The first act of one life being given in place of another. The unnamed animal took the weight and the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. And they freely received the covering that took away their guilt and shame, reconciling them in relationship to God. Not because of something they did, but because of something God did on their behalf. Hope is not in our coverings. Freedom is not in our coverings or in our ability to hide behind some perception that we can give to others. The thoughts that lead us into hiding are not the truth. Hope, freedom, and truth is in the God who created us, who knows us, who sees what we've done and the mess that we've made and still comes after us anyways. And then graciously, freely covers us, leading us through repentance, back into whole relationship with him again. The choice for all of us then is, will we receive the forgiveness and the covering that only God can provide for you in Jesus Christ? Or will you keep sowing fig leaves and hiding? Listen to how Paul writes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God because he, God, made him, Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. He's saying Jesus, who knew no sin, did not hide, did not stay back, but came and entered and gave his very life, taking upon himself all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our dysfunction, everything done to us, everything we've done, took it upon himself and took it to the cross and then to the grave, and he left it there when he rose victorious so that we are forgiven past, present, and future, and in him have a covering where instead of God looking and seeing our sin, he sees our righteousness because we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. In Christ, God will make you new. As the story continues here, the humans were banished from the garden and the way the tree of life was protected. So the story of humanity from that point forward is will we be a people who in the midst of our sin and in the midst of living in a broken world 
will put down the fig leaves, step out of hiding, and step into the freedom and forgiveness that we have in Christ? Or will we continue to believe the lies and follow the lies that say we know best and we should just follow whatever it is that our heart tells us to follow anyways? Which will we do? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, but what I'd like us to do before um, we, we jump right into singing or before you even come um, right up and take the, the elements, although you can, you can grab them um, and then spend some time in reflection. But I've got a couple of questions up here that I'd like you to, to reflect on um, and just spend some time praying on as we um, head into communion, as we reflect on this song. What sin and pain am I carrying that leaves me feeling naked and ashamed? How am I hiding right now? How am I trying to cover myself right now? And will I step out of hiding into an authentic relationship with Jesus, myself, and others? Just spend some time praying and asking the Lord to speak to you on, on these questions as we prepare um, to go to the table that reminds us of the hope that we have, the covering of Christ. I'll come back up and lead us in that just a minute. Let me pray for us as we prepare to reflect on these questions. Lord, may we hear your voice right now that says, where are you? And Lord, where being exposed is often shameful, it, it feels like it just makes us feel guilty, Lord, when we're exposed. Lord, we have all of these ways of dealing with it. Lord, I pray that we would hear the grace in your voice when you right now speak to us and just say, where are you? What are you doing in life right now? Where are you at? Where are we living out of brokenness instead of the wholeness and the forgiveness and the freedom that we have in you? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each of us personally and individually as we consider these questions.